0: Welcome, Sabina from CBRE Investment Management. I look forward to having a, an open debate with you as we go through these slides. And just, just to warn everybody on the call and those of you watching a recording, this is going to get very technical and uh, I, can't, I can't make apologies for that. It, it is all about the algebra and that's what we're going to be going through pretty slowly in, in detail about repricing. And uh, the everybody is telling me at the moment that there's a huge bid offer spread between potential buyers and potential sellers of real estate uh not only in the uk across europe in the us globally there's this standoff between buyers and sellers and and our point i think is going to be that that's not so surprising because things are shifting things have been moving in in not just a small way but in a very very big way for 18 months now and the market is in a state of some confusion which is not surprising so we're going to go through the algebra and try and understand what it is that has changed and what it is that hasn't changed so you know when i'm talking more to a broad audience these days i'm i'm telling people that there are there are four big things going on in the world which um which which are really affecting real estate investors and strategists and decision makers investment committees the first one is the is the the constant of demographics and geopolitics so things like you know the new the new polar world against the previously globalizing force that we were we were enjoying up to five years ago Uh, demographics meaning the massive changes in in particularly age profiles in in some countries we've got the impact of climate change and sustainability in its broadest sense that we're all struggling with we've got the impact of property technology or the fourth industrial revolution which we are which is impacting on the real estate market in particular Started with retail, and it's it's now affecting the office market. And now, on top of all of this, we've got the the unwinding of quantitative easing, which started let's say eighteen months ago, and is having a big impact on the real estate market. Now, ch- change is generally slow in property markets, and and all of these factors are having slow but measurable impacts on the real estate market. And the QE unwind is is no surprise. I think it's fair to say that. Ever since 2008, thousand and we've been expecting an increase in interest rates at some point. So we've had very low interest rates since the early 2010s. Um, we've been expecting that to be reversed at some point uh, and it's, it's suddenly happened. And so this is not a completely unanticipated event, but it's something that's happened very quickly. And, and we're now into this new regime of of higher interest rates which is in combination with all the things that have affected the retail market the office market uh, climate change technology and so on so we've got this sort of perfect storm that we're trying to deal with right now now here's the here's the algebra so we first of all the first thing to say is that the value of a piece of real estate can be represented as the rent divided by a cap rate so to maximize real estate values you want to maximize rents and you want to minimize cap rates we've been going through a period where cap rates have absolutely been minimized you know cap rates have been at the lowest level that i've ever seen in 50 years of studying real estate um so that in the uk we got used to the idea that a really good office building would sell on a three and a half percent cap rate which means somebody is paying between 30 and 35 times rent to buy that building Uh, cap rates in parts of Europe continental Europe have been even lower so we got used to two and a half two and three quarter percent cap rates in German office markets for example Uh, Paris has been trading at very very low cap rates of around three percent in the office market so we are used to extremely low cap rates now we also need to introduce the second uh, piece of algebra which is which is Gordon's growth model or the dividend discount model which simply states that the cap rate on anything is a function of the required return, the IRR if you like, less the amount of growth that you expect to get out of, the, out of the asset. So if your required return is let's say 5%, your IRR, your long-term return requirement is 5% and you think rents are going to grow at 2% a year, then you'll be happy paying a 3% cap rate. Now we're going to expand that out. so we expand that out into the third line on this slide, which is that the the uh, the required return can be expanded out into the nominal risk-free rate and a risk premium. Now the nominal risk-free rate is is usually assumed to be some sort of government bond yield. we, we could we could use corporate bonds as arguably a better proxy for real estate. but let's let's start with government 10-year bond yields which in the uk 18 months ago were as low as about one percent and then a risk premium so how much more return would you want how much more irr would you want to buy a portfolio of real estate assets if you could get one percent on a portfolio of government bonds and you know argument tends to settle this at around three percent of course there are always arguments for it being more or less but on average we've got comfortable with the sort of level of about three percent So that means that 1% plus 3% gets you to four that 4% is the total required return you'd want for a portfolio of high quality real estate 18 months ago. And it's a low number, you know, it's the lowest number I've ever seen. You know, 4% IRR is, is as low as I've ever experienced. At the end of the third line of this formula, we've got the growth component and the growth component for real estate is slightly more complicated because buildings wear out over time so the 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 function the net growth function is the rate at which rents for new buildings grow over time in response to demand and supply and the rate at which buildings wear out over time through deterioration obsolescence depreciation and so g minus d if you like is the net growth function if we're putting it into the cap rate formula then Minus G plus D gets us to where we need to be. So let's say that we think rents are going to grow with the rate of inflation in the UK long term 2%, but we think that buildings decline in rental value at a rate of 1% a year. Then we've got 1% net growth in a portfolio of office buildings. So if we were to plug all those numbers in, we'd get to, let's say, 3.5% cap rate, where we've got a 1% government bond yield, we've got a 3% risk premium. We've got one and a half percent growth in rents, let's say, driven by inflation, and we've got one percent depreciation going on in the office market. That gets you to a three and a half percent cap rate for a London office building. So the rental growth of one and a half in there is slightly below the rate of inflation. That's historically what we've seen in the UK. We've seen about minus a half real rent growth. So with a government target of 2%, we'd expect slightly less rent growth for brand new buildings, and then we get 1% depreciation, it gets us to about three and a half. Now, if, you're, if your brain is hurting so far, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to make it even more painful in the next line. So the next line is we expand this out again, and now we're going to expand out the nominal risk-free rate. So the nominal risk-free rate, according to Fisher 1920s. Uh, And financial economists since the the nominal risk free rate is a function of the real risk free rate, which is the rate which you would return the return you would require if you were to invest in a completely risk free asset where it was completely inflation proof. So you've got no risk of uh, of default and your income stream is going to be perfectly matched with inflation. What return would you want for an asset like that? and actually you know we've got assets like that we have index link gilts in the uk we have tips in the us so governments do issue these investments and the return on these investments up to 18 months ago was something like minus two so the return on british index link gilts up to about 18 months ago a year ago was about minus two now we had a government the, the next thing that you'd need though if you you know if you want a if you want to buy a fixed interest bond from a, from a government, you need to cover the rate of inflation. So let's say people are happy with a minus two for this completely risk-free asset in real terms. You then need to be paid for inflation. The government target was 2%. So that means that you get to about zero as the net function of the, the real risk-free rate plus expected inflation. But bond yields were trading, fixed interest government bond yields, were trading at about 1% a year ago. So where does that extra one come from? Well, that extra one comes from an inflation risk premium. If you are going to buy a portfolio of fixed interest government bonds, you're taking a risk that inflation takes off to a level which is higher than you want it to be and leaves you with a negative IRR. So investors need an extra risk premium for buying these fixed interest government bonds. And let's say that number a year ago was about 1%. That gets you to your 1% 10 year government bond yield, minus two real risk free rate, plus two inflation, plus one inflation risk premium. Now, what risk premium would you want if you bought real estate? So you start from a real risk free rate, we then go to a nominal risk free rate. So we go from minus two to plus one. What would you want if you bought a portfolio of real estate? Well, we're talking about a 3% risk premium as we did earlier that gets us to about a four percent required return or IRR for a portfolio of real estate if we go on to the right hand side of the equation again then the net growth component we're comfortable with the idea that the rental growth is a function of inflation because we're we're comfortable with the idea that real estate rents seem to rise at about the rate of inflation minus a little bit let's say minus a half a percent so in the long run, we think we get inflation delivered through the rent stream, but less a bit. So minus a half real rent growth. And then we'll get inflation added on top of that. So so the, the, the net rent growth that we're beginning to get is about 1.5%, as it says above. And that's a function of 2% inflation, minus a half uh, real rent growth. And then we add the, infl- the sorry, the depreciation on top, the extra 1%. And we've got a net growth function there of minus a half plus two plus one, which is two and a half percent. Sorry, I'll start again. It's it's minus a half plus two, that's one and a half percent, less the one percent depreciation gets us to half a percent real rent growth. So we've got a required return of four percent. We've not we've got net rent growth of about a half a percent after depreciation, and that gets us to a three and a half percent cap rate. So If in the market we're saying the correct cap rate a year ago was three and a half percent, then if we were to be offered an office building on a 3% cap rate, we'd say, no, thank you, offices are too expensive. If we were offered a building on a 4% cap rate, we'd say, yes, please, offices look cheap. Um, And the market is pricing at this 3.5% level based on my idea of these inputs. Now, what happened a year ago is that UK government Ten-year gilt yields went from one percent to three and a half, you know, very very quickly, and and they're, they're touching four right now. So this is what I'm calling QE unwind, the quantitative easing unwind. It's the the end of very cheap money, and it has an immediate impact on the property market. So what do real estate investors talk about when when gilt yields go from one to three and a half or four percent? at the same time short-term interest rates have risen a lot you know so so guilt yields tend to be medium for long-term investments but very short-term interest rates are also going up and real estate investors are pretty much fixated on five-year borrowing rates you know a a typical real estate investor will borrow at some sort of flexible interest rate but the bank he's borrowing from will ask him or her to switch that into fixed rate money usually a five-year swap And five-year swap rates, as we can see from this chart, from the green line, the bottom green line, have gone from pretty much half a percent to pretty much 4% in in a year. So this is the first real red flag for property investors. It's got nothing to do with my algebra, if you like, but it's a real red flag for investors because they were borrowing money at, let's say 2.5%, including a margin a year and a half ago, and now they're borrowing at 6%, including a margin. And that's gonna make them much less interested in paying high prices for real estate. So if interest rates rise, the cost of borrowing rises, it means real estate becomes less attractive to a leveraged buyer. But what's much more interesting to, to me is, is not the swap rate, it's really what's going on in the bond markets. And um, I'm getting ready to introduce Sabina, just to give give Sabina a bit of notice and to give you all a bit of relief that I'm gonna stop talking soon. But this is what I'm really interested in. Well, this is the the 10-year yield over time compared to real estate yields. And I'm using UK data. It's not particularly different in the UK to anywhere else, but I'm using UK data, just so you know. So the red line is property yields, which you can see have been drifting down from pretty high levels in the mid-80s to lower levels by 2022. Um, These are equivalent yields, which are it's a slightly technical definition, but we've had average yields going from eight up to ten and down to just below six in the UK in the last 20 odd years. At the same time, we've had ten year gilt yields. This is the ten year government bond yield, the fixed interest bond yield, the one that was trading at one percent up to a year and a half ago. We've had that constantly falling from levels of ten down to about the half the one level and then popping right back up again to four percent in the last 12 months now we know that the the algebra underneath this particular interest rate the nominal risk-free rate is these three components it's the real risk-free rate expected inflation and the inflation risk premium so the question is given this rise here this significant rise which of these components the real risk-free rate expected inflation the inspect or the expected risk premium for inflation which of those has changed and arguably all of them have changed and they're going to have different impacts on the on the real estate pricing equation now if you look at the 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 component of of that nominal risk-free rate which is the real risk-free rate if we look at um government indexed bonds in the uk You can see that what they've been doing is constantly falling through this period of qe since 2000 and let's say 2009 we've had this this collapse in the in the real yield down to negative levels minus two or even worse than minus two by 2021 and what i'd like to point you towards is this 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 series of gray bars towards the end of this line we've got property yields as before floating along at you know, just below 6% for the average property at this top line here. But we've had this real risk free rate collapsing underneath it. And the result has been a much bigger available risk premium, these gray bars. It means you're getting more return than you expected to get previously for buying real estate. You're getting over rewarded, if you like, for the risk that you're taking. And this is an important component here, because one of the questions we've got to answer is, is there enough room in this property yield here to cope with a rapid rise in real risk-free rates because the algebra is very clear a rise in risk-free rates will increase cap rates but we've got this big cushion that we've got used to for the last 10 years so it may be that that cushion is enough to prevent a big collapse in real estate prices and if you look at the the short-term average in this premium it's it's about six six to seven percent historically before 2006 the gfc it was running to more like four percent so it may be that we've got this two to three percent cushion which allows real risk-free rates to go from minus two to to zero or plus one without massive damage to the property market i think that's one of the things that we need to need to think about so sabina i'm I'm just going to go through these one one at a time and maybe if i stop at every line and you come in and tell me what you think so here's okay. here's my equation. Here's my equation, and I'm in yellow. I'm changing one variable at a time, and let, let's see whether we think this variable has changed. So the first the first variable is the real interest rate, and the the graph I just showed suggests that the real interest rate measured by index-linked gilts in the UK has gone from minus two to let's say zero to plus one. Um, that's a that's a pretty challenging thing to happen for pricing of all assets but we've got that premium that gave us a bit of a cushion Sabina what do you think
1: I mean arguably the supernormal period was the one before when real interest rates were sort of you know minus three minus two and reverting to zero to one is arguably far more healthy for allocation decisions and having money be free in real terms for an extended period of time you could argue is what contributed to all sorts of asset bubbles and mispricing of you know private equity uh, not just in real estate so it is more challenging but i think people have to get their heads around that this actually is probably the new normal and going forward if you think that you're going to have a nominal bond somewhere between two three and a half ish percent wherever you are in developed markets and and inflation at about the same rate i think zero to one's Kind of what you have to factor in for the next ten years, as you know, I've got a a strong belief that we are at a monetary policy turning point, an inflation turning point, point. and I it's not that I think the new normal is disastrous. It's probably quite similar to when I was entering this industry in the early two thousands. But that is that is probably what we should be assuming going forward, not minus two. So I I'd, I'd whack a one percent in there if I were doing some underwriting going forward.
0: Right. right. <laughs> Okay, that's that's great. That's
1: Opinions great. differ, right? I mean, I do have a particular view that we're entering mildly more inflationary structural times.
0: Right. Okay. Well that, that that's great because so if if you're if you're clear that this minus two real yield is gone is going to go to plus one and stay there, then the only the only way we can cope with that in property pricing is if this risk premium here is three percent higher than it needs to be. So that move upwards, that 3% move up in real yields, is not going to kill us as long as we've got a 3% cushion in this risk premium here. And it looks like we've got, we've got two-ish. We've certainly got two-ish. If you move from these long-term averages of four up to long-term averages six to seven, we may even have three. So, you know, we could, we could comfort ourselves with the level of this risk premium that we've been enjoying. We've been, we've been dining out, we've been, you know, we've been. Feasting on this excessive risk premium for ten years, and that's why we've had such great markets. You know, that's why it's yeah. A- I mean,
1: that's that's led to a supernormal return, right? And I think that it's a story that I have myself been guilty of peddling over the last seven years. That it, it's wonderful, isn't it? This excessive risk premium. It's why people have allocated into real estate from fixed income from other asset classes. Why allocations have gone from eight to ten percent to fifteen to twenty percent because people have been uh, rent seekers and the multi-asset uh, meaning of the word rent. they have gone to where the supernormal profit was. It's kind of in a way amazing it wasn't competed away more as much as people like us who've been in real estate for a while saw cap rates fall and fall. actually, that chart shows that they could have fallen further, right? They could have fallen further to if we were in a perfectly profit maximizing efficient market, that should have fallen back um Absolutely. and and the the way in which you could justify if you want to be kind to those of us in real estate is to say well we knew it couldn't last and we didn't compete it down so you could you could make that argument um i don't think that's really the case i think what what i was guilty of saying to a lot of clients the last seven years is isn't this wonderful because as bond yields rise the property yields will not have to rise commensurately they won't have to be pushed up because of this super normal income premium and I'm i'm sure some people still feel that way from my perspective, you should need a higher risk premium to be in an asset class where we know that in this particular next five years, we're going to have to pay an awful lot of money to get our house in order from a depreciation, functional obsolescence perspective, whether that's because of ESG regulations or behavioral change and getting our stock of assets fit for purpose. so. Yeah the question is is was that was that income premium already so wide that it can absorb both the higher interest rate and the higher capex and functional obsolescence of those buildings yeah and okay. that's i think where the debate is and i'm yeah, not yeah. truly sure
0: yeah no no i agree so we, it's not you know there's a sort of set of factors that are hitting us and we've got to decide where to put them in the algebra at some point mm. but, but for now let let's let's leave us with the potential comfort that that rise in the real risk-free rate could could be less than fatal because we've got that we've got that comfort level of risk premium and i think your point was a really good one that the cap rates could have gone down to two percent for prime london offices if people had not been worried about this reversal of real risk-free rates at some point it, it could have happened and it didn't so yeah
1: because, because people you know, underwrite for 10 years and they would have had some exit cap rate with some higher bond yields i hope so Yes, let's give ourselves some credit for figuring out this wouldn't last forever.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. There's been some discipline. Okay, so the next factor in the equation is inflation, expected inflation. And you see it appears twice. Okay, so the great thing about real estate in is is that if there is some correlation between inflation and rent growth, then we don't have to worry too much about changes in inflation because we hope that it comes through in the income stream, we hope. Now, you know, we can challenge that, I'm sure we will. But the first point to make is just because inflation has obviously risen, you know, expected inflation has obviously risen, certainly in the short term. So that's that's got some implication for long term inflation expectations. Um, The good news is that given that it has risen, it's not fatal to cap rates. It doesn't mean that it passes straight through to cap rates because if you need an extra 2% return to cover 4% inflation, hopefully your rents will grow at 4% not 2% because they are somewhat inflation rate so your IRR your expected IRR goes up by 2% because you're getting 2% higher rent growth your required return goes up by 2% because bond yields have gone up by 2% the risk-free rates gone up by 2% because of the inflation component no impact on cap rates everything's fine what do you think Sabina
1: I mean you'll know better than me there's very little evidence that rents really do keep pace with inflation over the long term particularly in a market like the uk where we do have upward only rent reviews sometimes but there's very little index linking in our leasing and even when there is you know i think in theory people think these things work out but as we're seeing with the um the residential market where you should be able to capture um inflation and changes in market rent often people will intervene to stop the landlord taking a super normal profit on that basis or a normal profit actually on that basis so
0: you suggested but, the, the government might regulate to keep rents down and that that kills the ability of the landlord to pass through inflation but it's
1: already happening in places it's happening in scotland and in municipalities in europe and and the us where that's happening so i don't think there's evidence that rent pass through really does come through um to match inflation And it probably depends why the inflation is there right so if the inflation is there because you've got really strong demand conditions one might assume that that would be mirrored in very strong corporate profitability and therefore the tenant can afford to pay more rent. and actually you may be successful in pushing it through even without index linking but if it's because of what we have now which is supply constraint and, and persistent supply shock i think you're probably going to be less successful yeah. Um, so I, I don't take much comfort from the idea that higher inflation means my NOI growth is going to be super bouncy. Well, and
0: right. especially
1: if you think the first time in my career for the last two years where you know we're not seeing rental leasing performance consistent across sectors and across quality, there's such bifurcation by quality that I think that underlying structural change in the market swamps, this sort of generic macro to rent link.
0: Okay, so you're going to be you're going to be pretty lucky if your rents keep pace with this higher inflation rate, which is which is not great news, that means your cap rate should be going up because you're not going to keep pace. What what about what about inflation risk premium, do you think that's gone up Sabina, given what's happened in the last two years.
1: Yes, so what's really interesting i've been doing a bit of of work on this like looking back at. Really long run inflation in the UK. The Bank of England hilariously publishes data that goes back to the 1200s. But even if you just look at what happened in the sort of the post World War II period, it's quite unusual both for inflation to have been as low as it was since 2008, but also as um, stable. The volatility of inflation, thanks to central bank inflation targeting and quantitative easing, has been very compressed. And I think that's less well understood. People get that interest rates were abnormally low. I don't think they get how unvolatile inflation was. And of course, that has reversed with a vengeance since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the question is, is going forward, when we get through this 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 cyclical readjustment, do we go back to what we had before or do we go back to something that's more akin to maybe the 80s and 90s when you had a lot more inflation volatility? And my feeling is, is that it's the latter and maybe it's worse and my principal reason behind this is there's two, there's two sources of things that can really make inflation jump around, energy and food. And we've seen the energy one with a vengeance over last year. Food price volatility, I think, is going to be the social, political, and macro risk going forward because of climate change and because of extreme weather events causing droughts, then flooding, disrupting food supply. You can see what's going on, and very sadly in Emilia-Romagna at the moment, think there's more of that to come has huge implications so to me i would be putting in an inflation risk premium that was more akin to how people would have underwritten maybe in the 80s and 90s not as bad as the 70s but let's see because i don't think we truly understand what that climate change impact is going to be
0: that's a great point it's it's pretty bad news because the you know there's no way out of this one if the inflation risk premium rises and we think we think that real estate isn't a perfect real estate inflation hedge then we just have to take that one on the chin because that that higher risk premium is going to pass right through to cap rates unfortunately
1: thing so, is it doesn't have to be a perfect inflation hedge it just needs to be better than the competitor asset classes right
0: well true true but in my algebra sabina that number yeah, is be <laughs> cap rate, I'm afraid. yeah, yeah. um so we, we now move on to the property risk premium so so you know has property got more risky you know so we've got this we've got these two things going on in 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 my opinion very interested in your view on this so on the one hand we've got the idea that we've been having an excessively high available property risk premium delivered to us for the last 10 years you know this this idea that we've got six to seven over indexing gilts and it's a bigger number than it used to be seems to be a pretty high risk premium that we've been enjoying um on the other hand we're starting to worry about stranded assets we're worried about the impact of carbon technology working from home you name it on big chunks of the property market so has property got more risky you know first question and secondly um how do you feel now about that cushion of risk premium that we've had uh that that, you know do we do we still need that cushion
1: yeah i mean i guess i said it before i think we do need the cushion because i think property has at this particular juncture got a lot of climate technology behavioral change to work and regulatory change to to cope with yeah I, i suspect the answer however is very different depending on the quality of property and the modernity of format and that also probably applies to the expected inflation line as to whether you can get rents that probably are ahead of inflation so i suspect there's a kind of very modern very well designed um keeping pace with regulatory change building weather logistics office resi where you probably could get real rent growth and probably would accept a much lower property risk premium because you feel you've already taken that into account you paid more for it but that you wouldn't need that cushion And then there's another type of format and property whereby none of you know these numbers would almost make it uneconomic to do anything with it and that's the real problem facing the industry isn't it, so. I think, in general, we do need that cushion, so we can't assume that that's going to absorb the higher bond yields, but it really depends on the format and it's going to be so bifurcated.
0: yeah. Yeah. Leads on to the last point, which is, which is the historically the data i've got that historically going back as long as I can. It looks like real estate in most markets has delivered a negative real rent growth number, and it could be somewhere between minus half and minus one. I've put in minus half, which is the UK-ish number. Do you think that number is okay? Do you think it's too optimistic or pessimistic going forwards?
1: I think the answer depends on what proportion of the stock do you think falls into that legacy category and how fast you can start renewing it because there's a category and you can see it actually you can see it on the on the leasing performance of our portfolios and competitors portfolios when it is the good stuff actually they are performing ahead of proforma because it's it's so scarce to have that good quality so the the, the sort of the next 10 year answer to this question depends on how good you think we are at, at an industry at churning our portfolios um but I suspect if it was historically minus 0.5%, it's got to be higher because we've never seen this burden of,
0: me, you know,
1: me, the wet, in Europe in, in particular, in the UK in particular, this journey to net zero is going to disproportionately fall on yeah. the built environment.
0: So when you say it's going to be higher, you mean, you mean it's lower. A bit, <laughs> enough, yeah, a yeah, of, yeah, like a mi-
1: if it was minus a half, I don't know what it is, is it a minus, minus a one minus and a half or whatever, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Okay, so if we pop that all together then into, into our cap rate forecast or expectation i've got i've got what i think was the situation 18 months ago where we've got this london office building selling on a three and a half percent cap rate uh, given everything that was going on and i'm now trying to value that london office building in today's situation where the real yield has gone up to let's say 0 you were pushing me towards 1 but let's say let's be nice and say it's let's it's going to settle at around 0 um we've got a, a potential increase in the inflation risk premium and again i've been nice and i've kept it where it was although i can see why i'd push that one up as well and i've actually pulled the risk premium down on real estate because uh we've had such big numbers going past let's say we don't need quite so much going forwards i, I know you don't agree with me on that um, I've got I've got minus a half real rent growth, which you think should be worse, and I'm afraid my cap rate's gone up to five percent already um, from three and a half, even though I'm being nice on all those numbers. And the real the reason, of course, is because the real risk-free rate's gone from minus two to zero, and you you can't do anything about it. You know that's that's just going to pass straight through. So the only comfort that you can have is that that risk premium of six to seven above real yields was so high. We can afford to see that drop by 3%. Um, but, you know, it's hard to see it. It's hard to see it. And so I, I can't see why a prime London office building in London right now would sell for anything better than 5%. That's my proposition, Sabine.
1: Yeah. And I was, as you were speaking, I was, I was trying to plug my version of these numbers in. And I think I end up at a seven to eight, which right. I guess speaks to why in our model portfolios, we recommend a legacy office weighting of sort of. Zero, like five percent or zero to ten i mean it's, it's very low relative to benchmark and has been for some time so and i think yeah. it's going to take a while to get there right i mean it took 10 years for retail to get from three and a half to eight yeah, yeah. And, still yeah. Get, and still going right it started in 2014 it's still going we're in 2023 so i'm not sure this happens overnight but yeah
0: um
1: yeah. It, that doesn't seem the, the bottom line of this does not seem implausible to me even though my numbers underneath it might be slightly in a slightly different order
0: Right, so, so my sort of bottom line here is um, we settle at zero real risk free rate, it could be a bit higher, but let's say we settle at zero, the inflation risk premium rises, you know, it should rise, so let's say one and a half. The risk premium for real estate has probably risen because of global warming, working from home, all those things, so we've pushed that up a little bit. Uh real rent growth, as you said, you're less optimistic about real rent growth. So I've pushed that down a little bit to minus one, and then we end up with 7% cap rate. And that that's a 50% value drop, obviously. You know, for a given rent, that's a 50% fall in values. And, you know, I'm pretty convinced that there will be a lot of buildings out there that will fall in value by 50%. You know, I think that's going to happen.
1: And by the way, that's what's happened in the private in the listed market already right right if you look at the major office specialist rates that's that's the kind of fall we've seen doesn't mean it won't rebound
0: right right exactly now the the, what's the good news sabina you know what what is the good news you know there's only one thing left that could make us happy and that's rents so you know given that values are a function of rent divided by cap rate and we can't see a nice scenario for cap rates the only thing that can save us then is if rents go up for whatever reason um, so, what's the good news?
1: The good, I think, the good news is is what is always exciting about bringing it real estate. We're we're in charge of the built environment, and we have a unique and what should be an exciting challenge to transform it at pace over the next five years, with absolutely accelerating technological advancements and actually material science advancements. You listen to, I was hearing something yesterday about you know cross. Um, Timber construction. I mean, there are ways to improve this. And I think when you have that good product, then you will see rents that are ahead of inflation because there's a scarcity of it. And there is still a demand for it, right? People still want to and need to be productive in spaces that enable that productive work, whether you want to call it an, whatever that office space looks like, whatever that residential space looks like. And then if, I mean, that's just the climate change. If I look at your demographics point here, we have an amazing generational opportunity to create good quality space for our senior population and for our student populations and frankly, affordable, good quality housing if we want our cities to survive, given the fact that they're in the crosshairs. So the the challenges are huge, but so are the opportunities. And I think if one really puts the tenant at the centre of it and and asks what do they need from a behavioural perspective and builds it, I think you'll be fine on the rent growth. I just think that there are going to be radical winners and radical losers and very it will be a very unforgiving market for those who are just on the mar- margin i so, i heard a talk yesterday from jamie palumbo lord palumbo of southwark uh, known to many of us in the uk of a certain generation as the founder of the nightclub ministry of sound but he now does office and mixed-use development and he asked someone on the panel a very searching question which is is your office actually really good Or is it just a little bit better than than a crappy legacy office, because I I suspect that what a lot of us are doing in our refurbs and redesigns, including ourselves, is making stuff that's just a little bit better than the general commodity office and isn't fundamentally transformational and meeting the needs of the future. So I think that's the searching question we need to ask ourselves.
0: Great to be. Is that positive?
1: Is that positive? I feel it should be positive. I I feel quite excited about it. I think
0: you know. I think (laughs) i could argue that the positive thing. So there's a piece of um, anecdotal evidence, and there's sort of logic. So logic tells me that we're going to see reduced levels of development, speculative development going forwards, because you know that the the you know the the equation, the residual equation for development has got worse. You know, either land values have got to drop. or there's going to be less development it's just less viable people can make less profit so you know we've got we, we've got a, a an inhibited supply pipeline coming down the road um and we've got all the issues about carbon and whether you want to use new building materials in new new developments which is going to limit that to some extent um the, the anecdotal evidence and of course you know a limitation on development is a good thing for rents. you know we want a limited supply against maybe a reduced demand, but a limited supply will boost rents. The, the anecdotal evidence is that in, um, you know, in central London, you know, there have been a small number of really high quality office developments produced by the market recently. And mm. our experience of those is that when they're pro forma to level 100 pounds a square foot and they go for 120 pounds a square foot, they may take slightly longer to get away because people are taking their time. But once they decide that they want yeah. this office space, they're prepared to pay for it. And so it may be that you know we're we're saving ourselves a little bit by getting some higher rents on the top line for really good buildings, and and that's exactly what you were saying, Sabina, that we get this bifurcation between really good assets that command really good rents. They may not command the same cap rates that they used to, but they're going to command really good rents, so they're going to deliver the IRI you want in the long run. Um, but you're going to get this sort of semi-stranded asset risk for. This. But, that,
1: but that's also helpful, right? Like to get to the say we've got the good stuff that's great. And is scarce and that will do well and then you take the stranded stuff that most people are avoiding but actually it's actually healthy the mechanism by which those stranded office assets become lovely resi and mixed use and fit for the future is that the price falls to a level whereby it is economic for it to be redeveloped and or repurposed because at the moment that's not an easy task we know right the way that offices are done floor to ceiling heights the dark space in the mid i mean it's not an easy cheap fix you probably need to get to more than 50 percent price drop in that stranded office legacy stuff to tempt in the people who are going to transform it in an environmentally sensible way into what it is for the future so on the one hand it's scary and i get that if we if we own it it is very very scary or if you're the bank getting the keys back on it it's scary but that is the natural you know destructive way towards that we get to the future. So again, I don't necessarily see that as problematic. The only place I see it as problematic, actually, this churn, is when you get to markets. And maybe the the US is going to turn out to be a good example of this, where the impact of that going through bank balance sheets causes something systemic in the availability of credit to the wider economy. It's never a good thing when commercial real estate is driving general economic credit conditions. But in the US, with the smaller regional banks and their exposure to this this crappy office, like this could be an example of it. Um, so I think we need to watch that as a general macro risk that could infect other sectors in the wider economy.
0: Okay, so on that optimistic note, <laughs> um, we can move on. I think to the wrap up. So uh, thank you very much, Sabina. That was that was great. Much appreciate uh, you doing this and uh, CbRE for hosting this session. Um, I think it's back to you, Tindera so uh, I'm just looking at the chat um, and I'm looking at those questions but over to you Tindra for now we can come back and answer the questions perhaps in a minute or two you're on mute Tindra I think
2: sorry Um, yes thank you so much again for joining us today Um, just to say this is being recorded. We will be sending out the recording and um, just allow for a few weeks though, because we will be adding subtitles, captions, upload on YouTube. So it's not a, um, a straightforward uh, sending you the recording. So a few weeks and it will come to the email you uh, registered to the webinar with. Um, and also to reiterate this webinar is in support of our Oxford Real Estate Programme, of which um, Professor Andrew Baum is the Programme Director, so he'll be there for the whole week. Um, It's a five-day executive programme on campus. Um, Sabina Reeves uh, also teaches on this programme regularly. Um, And uh, yeah, so if you are looking for a programme on real estate investment strategy, this is a great programme. you're looking to reshape your your real estate strategy for the next five years and build a resilient portfolio. Uh, also we discuss current challenges and opportunities of the real estate sectors topics like ESG innovation and prop tech, um, analyze the macroeconomic trends and also um look at a series of case studies. Um, if you're also looking at and coming up or setting up a real estate fund. Uh, We also have um, a group activity during the week where you are working in small groups and coming up with a fund, uh, real estate fund or venture, which you then present back to a panel of investors on the last day. And um, final, but not not least, is the great opportunity to really build uh, an amazing network with professionals, with the faculty as well, the speakers um we have quite a few alumni on this uh, webinar today and they are probably you know the best to say this is a very diverse cohort of people um participants come from all over the world 20 plus countries and uh, also come from different parts of real estate real estate companies REITs real estate developers fund managers family offices insurances uh, pension funds sovereign wealth funds as well as banks and lawyers Um, so you can find more um uh on the website and then if you go on the le- next page there are some um, our contact details my contact details you can reach out to me if you want to hear more about the program find your LinkedIn or on the page that's my number as well there and um, yeah also relevant to this as we spoke about value and prices we also have the Oxford program on valuation of private assets where obviously we deep dive um onto valuation of private classes on one of which will be um dedicated to real estate and andrew Bohn leads that discussion on that day as well. So yes, please do uh, reach out if you want to hear more. And I think Andrew put his um, email address at the bottom of this page as well should you have any questions about the webinar today. So with this note thank you so much and I hope to be in touch soon.
0: Thanks, Dindara. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Sabina.